2: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hey, Maddie, I was walking down the street the other day, and I met someone that knows you from, I don't know, from your past, maybe, mm-hmm. so I don't know, but they were, you know, I was saying, yeah, I know Matt, and they were saying that they, you know, they know you as well, and they said that you're a 10. They said, Maddie, that guy, he's a 10 and uh looks, and I went, really well i i had to, yeah well i queried them further i said That's what do you LA? mean a 10 and they said 10 on the ph scale cuz that boy basic Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Today we're going to talk about, you could probably tell from my joke at the beginning, uh, acid and base. And so the physiology the, of acid and base.
2: So is that the it's
1: scale? The the pH scale. Oh, Little pH. P, big H. P, oh, pH, sorry. That's right. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, But before we get started, let's talk about some housekeeping. Uh, If you want to ask us any questions, if there's any topics you want us to cover for you, please send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com, or you can just contact us on Twitter, which is gubiosciences, that's the Twitter handle, also on Instagram, gubiosciences as well. Feel free to contact us, ask uh, ask us any questions or whatever. Topics. Topics.
2: Correct, Michael.
1: Yeah, I'm always wrong. Matt's more wrong than I am. So basically, you listen to a podcast that's just filled with mistakes. <laughs> All right. Today, acid base, balance, what an acid is, what a base is, and physiologically why it's important, and then some conditions. And then our next podcast will most likely be on ABGs, which is arterial blood gases, which will obviously... what
2: like the clinical test to... Clinical test. See what's gone wrong.
1: So, shall we start off with defining... A few things. A few things? Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we first define pH?
2: I think start with an acid.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Okay. First thing is everyone needs to be aware of hydrogen ions. Now, mm-hmm. remember, an ion is a charged atom or element. And as a lot of you are probably aware, when you look inside of the fluids of your body, you've got intracellular compartments, which is inside the cell, mm-hmm. extracellular compartments outside the cell and in the blood. Yep. And if you were to take a sample of a patient's blood, so their plasma, you can actually have a look at the various concentrations of charged atoms and elements. What are some examples of these charged atoms or elements?
2: Uh, So, are these electrolytes?
1: These are electrolytes.
2: So, this is what you have in your bottle of Gatorade.
1: And I was going to... So, an electrolyte is basically a salt. What it is, is it's a molecule that when placed into water, it disassociates into ions. That's what an electrolyte so it gets a is. charge. It gets a charge. So what are these charges? Does that mean it's
2: neutral beforehand and then it becomes charged?
1: All right. Let me give an example. You're right. Salt. Normal table salt, which we know is sodium chloride, NaCl. NaCl. See how there's no positive or negative there? Mm-hmm. Because the chloride's negatively charged, the sodium's positively charged, together they balance each other out. Yet when you put salt in water, they disassociate and you get sodium ion, which is Na, plus, mm-hmm. and chloride ion, which is Cl negative. Wonderful. So basically, our blood and our fluids are filled with these types of salts. Okay. So, apart from sodium and chloride, what are some other examples, Matty?
2: Uh, potassium,
1: potassium, yeah, that's K, K plus. Okay, yeah. So
2: it's if it's a cation,
1: yeah, it's um, a plus charge. So do you know ca- how to remember that? This is how I tell my students how to remember cation versus anion. If you like Cat- cats, cats are always positive. Maybe. Well, if you like cats, that's a that's a positive. Is it? I'm allergic to cats, so I hate it. So in actual fact, it's really difficult for me to remember. But cations, positively charged. Why do you hate cats? I'm allergic to them. I don't hate. What them. happens to you? <laughs> I puff up. Okay. Uh, breathing becomes difficult.
2: All right. I asphyxiate. Maybe we, add, maybe we can add that later to I what? collapse
1: onto the floor holding my throat.
2: Okay. That's enough. That's enough. Okay, okay. All right. So, I usually remember it by cations has a T in it, which mm. is like a plus sign.
1: No, it's you know, not. That's how I do it. It's more like a cross.
2: All right. Cross, T, <laughs> plus. All right. So, other cations within the body. Oh, sorry. So, we've got sodium is probably the most abundant. Most abundant outside the cell. Okay. We've got potassium, which is the most abundant in the cell. Is yep. that right? Um, we've also got calcium. Yep.
1: Uh, which is... Mainly okay. outside the okay. cell. Magnesium. So calcium is Ca2+. Magnesium is Mg2+. Mm-hmm. Uh, some negatively charged... So some Chloride. anions. Chloride. Cl okay. negative. Bicarbonate. Bicarbonate. They're the big, they're the big ones, negative. right? They're the major ones. That's right. So, okay, so my whole point was we're trying to define an acid and a base and so I had to bring up these first because when you take a patient's blood, you can measure the concentration of these things and everything needs to be in homeostasis which is a nice, happy, healthy range. So we never want one value of anything. It's always between a particular range. So for sodium, for example, do you know what the range of sodium should be
2: in your blood? Well, let's just pause for one second mm. and acid is just referring to hydrogen, right? I'm going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> but before we get to the ranges, yeah. are we fair by saying an acid is a substance that donates the hydrogen? It's going to get to that too. Oh, sorry, my bad.
1: There's a whole what? setup that I'm working Ooh, through, okay. so you just got to trust me.
2: I couldn't see your brain ticking over. Mm. All right, so uh, what was your question? Sodium in water? What's the sodium concentration oh, within your blood? Your blood in your blood. So if I took a vial of blood out and they did the biochemistry on it mm-hmm. um, it would come back if it was in normal range approximately 135 to 145 millimolar okay. per litre.
1: Millimolar. So mi- you don't have to say per litre if you say millimolar but you can say millimoles per litre.
2: Can't you have like deciliters? Say that again. Isn't it, Can't you also get <laughs> what? Per hundred mils? Isn't there some measurements per hundred? Deciliter. Miles?
1: Yeah, yeah. So yep. So you can so you can have deciliters or mil, or millimoles per liter. But if you say millimolar, that is per liter. All oh, right. So, so millimole. Yeah. So or you could say milliequivalents. Now, basically, uh, what but we're referring to when we say molar is it's basically a concentration. And at the moment, you probably don't really need to be aware of what that concentration means. It's how many moles per litre of a solution. And one mole is what we call Avogadro's number, which is 6.022 times 10 to the 23 atoms.
2: I thought it was just an animal, like a mammal. It is, like like the naked mole rat,
1: (laughs) which is your spirit animal, isn't it?
2: That was my nickname.
1: The naked mole rat. (laughs) So... So uh, the concentration of sodium inside uh, your blood plasma is 135 to 145 millimolar, okay?
2: All right.
0: All
1: right, so what's the concentration of potassium, for example, in your blood plasma?
2: So this is outside the cells?
1: This is outside the cells? 3.5 to
2: 5 millimolar.
1: Okay, now, hydrogen ions, which again is just another ion, just like sodium, just like potassium, hydrogen ions, when you measure that, do you know what the concentration of that is in your blood?
2: Ooh. Um. It's, a, it's, a,
1: it's a very, very small number. If you compare it to 145 for sodium and 4, for example, millimoles for potassium, mm-hmm. hydrogen ion concentration is 0. 0.00004. Millimoles. How many zeros? Millimole. Are there? That's four zeros and then a four. That's millimoles per liter. That's the hydrogen ion concentration inside your blood. That number's too small. Where do we get these hydrogen ions from? This is where we go back to what you were saying? Acids. Uh, acids produce hydrogen ions. So acids So instead of just, electrolytes. just to
2: clarify. So sodium's one hundred and forty millimole. Yep. So what would um hydrogen B if you weren't going to use milli could you use another
1: yeah so okay so we need to be aware that when we do calculations and we start off with molar mm-hmm. that's that's a big that's a big number a molar is a concentration and then something can be millimolar and then something can be micromolar and then something can be nanomolar right and what's the difference well if i had 1 molar of something and I wanted to find out what it was in millimoles, Mm. millimolar, then it's a thousand times difference. You're going to move that decimal place three Three. places. So one molar is going to be 1,000 millimolars. I've just moved the decimal place to the right three three places. So now I've got three zeros there. Mm -hmm. If I want to find out what a thousand millimolars is with micromolar... Mm because it's even smaller, while well, there's going to be more of them there, you move it another three decimal places, so you have...
2: Six.
1: Six? Six. One million. Okay. So you now have one million micromole, and you can keep moving it that way. You can go in the opposite direction too.
2: And so then you go to nano, which is nine.
1: Nine zeros.
2: And so then you be... If you wanted to be accurate, you could say that the concentration of hydrogen ions is, f- let's say, ballpark 40 nanomolar
1: that's right you reckon we're confused people yet yeah probably alright back to basics back to basics is this if I have if I measure in a patient's blood 140 millimolar of sodium ions Mm. in the blood serum that's millimolar we can play around with that and we can express it as molar right or we can express it as micromolar or nanomolar you just got to change the decimal places. So, if I've got 140 millimolar, and I want to find out what it is in molar, well, molar is a larger measure of units. So, you'll move the decimal place to the left three three places. One, two, three, which means the sodium ion concentration in the blood plasma is 0.14 molar. Okay. And you can move in the opposite direction, which means you'll have 140,000... Micromolar concentration—it's all the same thing. It's—it's okay. it's all the same thing. You just use in different units of measurement. Yep. It may be boring. It may be quite difficult to get your head wrapped around, but it's really important clinically, especially with hydrogen ion concentration.
2: All right. So we've got a pretty well-established sodium concentration that we'll use in our blood charts. Yep. And potassium. Yeah. But now you give me this very minuscule hydrogen number. Yes. Which is got um seven zeros after the decimal plays Yep, uh four Is that's that right yep if okay. you're measuring
1: it in molar yeah so right. yep so and
2: so that you're not going to write that on a chart no so how would you change that to make it a bit easier okay
1: easy so like Matt said, you don't want to write on a chart next to 145 millimolar of sodium and 4 millimolar of potassium. You don't want to write 0.00004 millimolar of hydrogen ion because it's ridiculous. Plus, you're going to lose count of the zeros. Yep. And, you, and you know, if you lose count of one zero, patient will be dead. Right? So we don't express hydrogen ion in the same concentration units that we express all the other ions. Okay. We express it as pH. And this is how you get to millimolar... Well, this is how you get to pH from millimolar. All right. So if you write out the hydrogen ion concentration is equal to 0.00004 millimolar, what you can actually do is, because there's so many zeros, we need to get rid of those zeros. And the way we get rid of those zeros is a calculation which is called log. Now, the log of something is to the power of 10, which means if I, the log of 10 is 1, because there's one zero there. The log of 100 is... Two because there's two zeros there. Log of three uh, and uh, and 1,000 is three. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Okay, so if I were to log 0.0004 millimolar, what I'd end up getting is a number which is negative 7.4. Okay? That's just if you put it in your calculator. Don't stress out really about what that truly means. But all the log does is it calculates how many zeros there are. Right, okay. Now, if we were to calculate it from molar... There's seven zeros and a four. Hence, and because you're moving in the backwards direction to calculate it, it's negative 7.4. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, I've got the log of hydrogen ions is negative 7.4. You don't want to write that down either. You don't want to have to write on a chart. Log hydrogen ions equals 7.4, negative 7.4. Right. We've got to get rid of that negative because it doesn't mean much. Yep. So, then you do the negative log of it. Okay. So, if you do the negative log, then you get rid of the negative. And you get 7.4. And you get 7.4. But you don't want to write negative log of hydrogen ions because, again, that's ridiculous. The negative log can also be written as the power of something. So, negative log is equivalent to the power to something. So, the power of hydrogen ions is 7.4. The shorthand of power of hydrogen ions could be written as pH. Uh, so, that's how you get the 7. pH. 4. So, it's not fur. It's, it's not fur. It's a little P meaning power and a big H for hydrogen ions and it's 7.4. And it's telling you that there's seven zeros and then a four in the negative direction. And that's the concentration in molar of hydrogen ions. All right. Is that confusing enough?
2: I think um, half of the listeners are asleep. Yeah. And we've just got a whole lot of chemists doing chemistry majors yeah. listening now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's... And so the hydrogen can also be called sometimes protons, right?
1: Yeah, they're synonymous with each other. Okay. All
2: right, so we've now established that the pH in, let's say, the normal physiological body fluid, extracellular body fluid, should be around the range of 7.35 to 7.45.
1: Really important.
2: Okay, so that is the pH range, and we've figured out that there's a a small amount of hydrogen in the body mm-hmm. or in the fluid in comparison to a lot of the other electrolytes or other cation anions. Mm. Uh, why is it so small? Why is hydrogen number so small? Is there a reason? No idea. Well, it's a very reactionary um, cation. Ah. So it can cause quite, uh, not destructive, but in terms of chemical reactions, quite dramatic it's things. Particularly... Um, the way it associates with anions and probably one of the most abundant type of anions in the body, proteins. Ah. And so if you've got hydrogens or hydrogen ions building up in the body, therefore there's more of them and they're going to jump on board to certain things that are trying to soak them up.
1: So we should... Yeah, absolutely. And so if...
2: You know how you spoke earlier about um, neutral? Mm. So I guess if there's other things in the body that have a negative charge, like proteins, um, the plus of the hydrogen can jump on the negative of those and it can cause uh, a change in the nature of those proteins, which is sometimes what we call a denature. Perfect. And if the proteins aren't working, then we've got some big problems. Perfect. But before we talk about the importance of regulating that pH of 7.35 to 4.5, let's just quickly make sure we've um, defined all the terms well enough. So we've set an acid is a substance that can donate hydrogen into the solution?
1: Correct, such as hydrochloric acid. Okay, so that's HCl? H- no it has no charge until it's dissolved in water, and then it disassociates into the hydrogen ion, which is H+, and the chloride ion, which is Cl-.
2: And is that the base or the conjugate base? It's the conjugate base. Yeah,
1: okay. Uh, because... The uh, definition of a base is something that mops up hydrogen ions. Okay. So, simple. Acids release hydrogen ions, bases mop them up. They like to hug them and never let them go.
2: Okay. So, a base then, the definition would be then the opposite. So, it's something in a solution that could... Mops them up, like I just said. Or accept it. Yeah. And that could be, again, going back to... You could say hydrogen ions or you could say protons. Yeah, whichever. Is that right? Yeah, whichever. Now... Michael, please give us a definition of what a buffer is.
1: Okay. A buffer basically resists drastic changes in pH change. So what a buffer does, so you can have a chemical buffer or a physiological buffer or whatever it may be, a buffer is something that when the pH begins to change, and this may mean that something happens in the body where we start to accumulate hydrogen ions or something happens in the body where we have not enough hydrogen ions the body needs to stay within that 7.35 to 7.45 ph okay so what we didn't say to the listeners mm. is that the ph scale goes from 0 to 14 okay so and 0 0 is the most acidic which means it has the highest amount of hydrogen ions okay and 14 is the most basic and has the least amount of hydrogen ions
2: and so because it's a log scale does that mean every time that you and it's a negative log, right? Correct. So, as you go to a smaller number, yep. because it's negative, it's actually coming closer to a whole number, is that right?
1: Perfect. So, what you need to do is if you were to write out 0 to 14 on a line, right, and you were to go to 7, pH 7, which is right in the middle, which just, we know, call, I'm just writing
2: it on your wall.
1: Okay. Oh, oh you could have used the whiteboard, but that's all right. So, pH 7, which is neutral... Okay. If you have a look at that and you'll write out how many hydrogen ions there are or the concentration mm-hmm. in molar, mm-hmm. well, because like you said, it's a log scale, so it's to the power of 10 and it's a pH 7, so there's seven zeros. But because you said it's mm-hmm. in the negative direction, it's seven zeros behind the decimal point. Okay. So it's 0.0000001. Okay, so, so, that's it. That's yeah. what it is. That's the co- molar of, of hydrogen ions at pH 7.
2: All right. Because this is important because I, I find a lot of my students do get this confused when you talk about acid, mm. something that becomes more acidic. Mm. They sometimes think that the number should get bigger. Correct. But it's actually getting smaller. No, number's getting, number is getting okay, bigger. <laughs> but, in terms, but in terms of the, the number and the pH... Yeah, okay. the,
1: the the number on the pH scale is getting smaller. appears to be going lower. So you
2: might it's Let's say in your stomach you've got a pH of 1 or 2 mm. and you'd think, some students think, oh, well, that's not a very big number, but actually there's a lot more hydrogen there than there yeah. would be at, say, 9. That's right. Okay. That's right. So,
1: in actual fact... If you go from pH seven to pH six, okay. we know we go into a more a lower number, but it's more acidic, yeah. which means we have a higher amount of hydrogen ions. Right. And in actual fact, you have so ten th- times more hydrogen ions at a pH six than you do a pH seven.
2: Right. So if you had a pH seven, mm-hmm. uh, and you jump to six, yep. it at first glance it appears that it's a, just you losing a number by one, mm-hmm. but in fact you're gaining 10 times more hydrogen.
1: That's right. So, every time you go... Basically, every time you move one spot on the pH scale, you're changing the hydrogen ion concentration times 10. Okay. So, pH 7 to a pH 6, you've got 10 times more hydrogen ions. In pH the 6, 6 to a pH 5, 10 times more hydrogen ions. Mm. pH 5 to a pH 4, 10 times more hydrogen ions. And Then you go the opposite direction. Until you hit a pH 0, right? Yeah. What you then have is one molar... Concentration of hydrogen ions. Okay. Then you go to a pH two, you got 0.1 molar hydrogen ions.
2: Okay, great. pH
1: three, 0.01 molar. See how the numbers getting smaller, even though the number on the pH scale is getting bigger, mm. until you get all the way to 14. A pH 14, this is the concentration in molar of hydrogen ions. It's 0.00000000000001 molar. Uh. Small number, right?
2: Well, I guess so. Yeah, well, yeah, it is.
1: Small number. <laughs> so...
2: Have we got that point across, you I reckon? I think so. I think it's... Well, it's clear to me.
1: Yeah, well, if it's clear to you, then everyone else will get it. Because
2: I'm basic, right? Hey, you hey, hey. are All basic. Right. So, in front of Michael is a bottle of water. Yeah, i okay. telling it's water. So, sorry? Nothing. Go on. So, it's a bottle of water. Yeah. Uh, let's just say there's nothing in, in it besides H2O. Can we assume that? Yeah. Now, if I get... We can assume that. So... <laughs> All right, so if I get an acid like HCl, yeah, and actually stop, have a time. If I put a pH meter in that bottle of water, yeah, let's assume it's deionized. So what would the water's pH be? Seven. Okay, seven. neutral. Fairly neutral.
1: Why is water neutral?
2: Uh, is this yeah. just a deep philosophical question? No, no, it's oh. not.
1: It's actually a chemistry-based question. <laughs> if you write out water,
2: H 20
1: h two O, hydrogen.
2: Uh, and which are two and one oxygen. Wow. Well,
1: it looks like Matt finished grade eight. So if you write that out, uh, if you actually to write, so you write out the oxygen, so write a zero and then put two little arms coming off the O, not a zero, the O, and then one of them goes to one H, the other goes to another H and make it look like a boomerang. That's what water looks like as a molecule. Two H's and an O. So
2: oxygen's essentially a strain then? Oh, yeah. sorry. Water is Australian.
1: Basically. Because it's yeah. memory. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. if, you, if you want to be a nationalist. So, the hydrogen ion, those two hydrogen ions have partial positive charges. Mm-hmm. And the oxygen has partial negative charges. Now, what that means is, what you'll find is that water, the negative O, is going to attract other hydrogen ions from other water molecules. Okay. And the positive H's are going to attract other... Uh, oxygen from other water molecules and oh, they right. basically. Just join each other. They, yeah, they bind each other up. So you've got this equal amount of hydrogen being released and being attracted and being released and being attracted. And
2: that just gives you the kind of the state of water? It gives you the state of water. So whether it's vapor, whether it's a solid, whether it's a fluid.
1: Yep. And if you. Th- yeah, so basically right.
2: Alright, so back to your water. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you've got your chemistry hat on today. Yeah, well, just want to ask a simple question and need, you go...
1: One of us needs to be an intellect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I put a pH mean in your water, which you're now drinking, mm. um, and the pH is 7. Ah. Is seven. Yeah, it's Correct? about 7. Yeah. All right. Now, I pull- in actual
1: fact, if you want to look at the pH of pure distilled water, it's going to be about
2: 6.88. But that doesn't matter, Matthew. All right. So, I get out my vial of HCl. Hydrochloric acid. Yeah. And then I put a drop into it. So, you're basically trying to poison me. Yeah, so the hydrogen chloride, the hydrogen chloride <laughs> HCl, goes into the water. Yeah, and immediately, kind of hits the water, uh, it will dissociate. Hydrogen ions will go into the uh, one side, and the chloride will kind of go into another area. Yeah, is I mean fair? it's all
0: together,
1: but it's disassociated. Uh, yeah. You got the hydrogen ions. And so, if I got the pH
2: meter still there, yeah, uh, what I'll see is quite a um, rapid drop in uh, the pH. Correct. So it's becoming. Closer to zero. Yeah. That's a big point. All right. Now, one of my favorite physiological um, professors, Mm -hmm. he... Me? Is it me? No. He stated that there was an experiment done like this, Mm. but I think they compared it to the water, Mm. to dogs. So, what they did was they got an acid, and obviously this was done back in the day when there wasn't much animal ethics, yeah, and they just injected it into the dog.
1: Whoa! They injected hydrochloric acid into a dog. I'm not sure what the acid is, but they injected some kind of
2: acid straight into the dog's blood, I guess. Okay. And then, uh, maybe somewhere else in the dog, they took blood out. Mm. And as they injected the acid at the same proportion as they put it in the bottle of water or Mm. the container of water, Mm. they noticed that the pH in the dog didn't change as dramatically as the bottle of water. So, they had a
1: hypothesis in which we know how much the pH would change in water Mm. of the same volume, Mm. but we're going to put it into blood within an animal of the same volume and it didn't change as drastically. No. Okay.
2: So, when the water, when the container of water got down to, let's say, one in the dog. pH of one. Yeah, pH one. Mm. In the dog, it was like 7.3. Wow. Wow. So it took a lot before it changed. So a dog's buffers. Yeah. So they then found, uh, and again, I'm not sure when this was. Probably sounds like the 50s. (laughs) Probably before that. Um, Anyway, they found that there's something in the the biological system Mm. to stop this drastic change, and this is where the the idea of the buffer, a buffering system came
1: about. And a buffering system basically, like like we said, resists drastic changes to pH but they can do it in either direction. So they can absorb or mop up hydrogen ions if there's too many and they can release hydrogen ions if there's not enough. That's basically the premise, right? And there's many different types of these buffering systems throughout the body. Hmm. Yeah?
2: So it's kind of like...
1: Why do we need them first? So
2: like... like, It's kind of like... We use another analogy from the same professor. He said it's kind of like... um, his father, let's say, when he was starting to earn money, it, he had, his father was a buffer for his economy. So, when <laughs> he earned, a lot, earned the money and got his paycheck at the, at the end of the week, his dad took some money off him and <laughs> kept it to himself um, so he wouldn't spend it all, mm-hmm. um, which seemed a bit mean. Yeah. But when he was on holidays and didn't work for a couple of weeks, his father then gave him back some money. and so He Here's was a financial buffer. A financial buffer. Okay. So, to resist too much dr- drastic change. Well, there you go. Makes
1: sense? Yeah, that makes sense. All right.
2: So, why do we need this? Yeah. So, I think, if,
1: why are we talking about it for hydrogen ions, but we're not, we're not talking about buffers for sodium ions or potassium ions? Why, why do we need buffers for hydrogen ions specifically?
2: Well, I think we said earlier that hydrogen ions or protons are very reactive mm. in the fluids mm. and they can be very devastating. Yeah to anions particularly as we said protons because I think in many cases proteins um, have a negative charge associated with them and therefore like we said the proton sorry the proteins will be soaking up those um, hydrogens and that's going to change the intrinsic structure nature of the proteins.
1: So so basically hydrogen ions you know, you look at the periodic table, you've got hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, you keep going through, and they're in their neutral form in the periodic table. But what you're going to find is physiologically or often within the environment, they're not always in this neutral form. Hydrogen, when it's within the body, within a solution, is often H+, plus, okay. which means it's deficient of an electron. And it wants to be happy, it wants to be healthy, it wants to be whole, and to be whole, it needs to get that electron to be neutral again. Okay. So it will do anything it possibly can to get that electron. Where can it get electrons from? Well, it can go scavenging throughout the body and it can pull electrons off our cells, destroy cell walls, start uh, binding to proteins and finding other chemicals to pull these electrons off. It can share electrons with other other uh, atoms or elements within the body. And so, like you said, it's highly reactive in this way. Okay. And so the body needs to sort of mitigate this process because if this happens too much, then like you said, it's going to, it's going to start pulling these electrons off proteins and yep. proteins do pretty much everything in the body. Yeah, right. And Can so, Can you give me some examples of important so proteins? So proteins are enzymes, for example. All right. So, so enzymes help us uh, increase the speed of certain reactions right. and help these reactions take place. Okay. Now, these enzymes will only function within the pH, or well, depending on where we're looking at right. within yeah, the body, yeah, yeah, yeah. will only function at a pH between 7.35, 7.45. Mm-hmm. If you start kicking that out of whack by having too many hydrogen ions, for example, right. then it's going to start changing the morphology of these proteins. Right. They're going th- Now, when you look at a protein... Yep. A protein is this three-dimensional shape, and like you've said previously, you're going to have certain side chains of these proteins. So, some proteins are going to be negatively charged, some will be positively charged.
2: So, S- proteins are made up of amino acids. Yeah. They're the building block of a, of a protein. Yeah. So, little bricks, you know, thousands, millions of amino acids will form a protein, mm-hmm. and together... Thousands. Okay. Hundreds yeah. to thousands. I've got a bit excited tens tens to hundreds to thousands alright so you've got all these little bricks of amino acids yep. at different orders that then create the house of a protein
1: and all these amino acids have different personalities and characteristics Yes.
2: Yeah. and so depending on how they're arranged would ultimately depend on the 3D structure of the protein right so can I give an example yep, just sure. quickly
1: so let's say we take five amino acids and let's say one likes water one hates water One is very negatively charged, one is very positively charged, and the other one is very negatively charged. Or neutral. Or neutral. What's going to happen is when they click together, they're going to now form a three-dimensional conformation or a Mm. three-dimensional shape which best suits their properties. So the one that hates water is going to be embedded deep within the protein. Okay. The one that likes water is going to be on the outside of the protein. The one that's negatively charged wants to go towards the one that's positively charged, and one that's neutral probably doesn't care where it's located. Yeah, right. And then what you get at the end of the day is this, without any influence by us or whoever or whatever, doesn't. Uh, nothing is actually telling it to go into its three dimensional shape, but its intrinsic characteristics. Yeah. But the problem, is, but this happens within an environment of seven point three five, seven point four five pH. Yeah, yeah. If you change that pH you can change the characteristics and properties of those amino acids. So, if you start changing the pH, something that was originally negative may now be positive. Or neutral. Or neutral. Yeah, because it
2: soaks up that hydrogen. Exactly. And so, now
1: it may not be on the outside of the protein, it may be on the inside, which then changes its function.
2: And that could turn it off. It could turn it off. Yeah, and that's called generally denature in the protein. That's right. right. And so, another example of how that happens is heat Mm -hmm. or temperature.
1: It's actually synonymous. Temperature yeah. and acid changes, are, you get the same effect on protein.
2: Yeah. And you can see that as an example when you have an egg. Yes. Um, an egg um, has maybe a more fatty or cholesterol yolk, and then the white or the clear part is albumin, which is a heap of protein. Mm. And if you, as you know, if you break it and put it on a hot plate, um, that white or that clear goes white, which is now denatured. Same yeah. thing would happen, right, if you if put it in a vinegar. acid. Yeah, acid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, and and so you have enzymes or proteins in your body that allow you to carry out a whole array of processes to keep you alive. Yeah. Keeping pumps going, keeps um, metabolism going. And a good thought of that is think about reptiles. Yeah. Um, If you put a reptile in a cold room, Mm. it won't move, it will just stay curled up or just stationary. But then it moves out in the sun. It heats up, proteins go towards their pH or oh, sorry, their temperature that they'd like to work at. And then, and then the start metabolism to starts to, start to kick, kick in. in yeah. So
1: if we look at the hydrogen ion concentration within the body, in the blood it has to be seven point three five, seven point four five. That's the blood. But different parts of the body have different hydrogen ion concentrations. Huge range differences. Like we know that the stomach produces huge amounts of hydrogen ions. And that's through something called proton pumps. Now if a proton pump is working, it's pumping out heaps of hydrogen ions into the stomach. If it's not working, where the food is, where the food where is, where the food is, and the whole point there is to denature proteins to make digestion easier.
2: So that's, they're the proteins that you just ingested.
1: That's right. Mm. So that's that's what the hydrogen ions, the the, the the acid that the stomach's releasing to create to have the hydrogen ions present, denatures proteins. It doesn't chop it up. It mm. just helps to unfold unravel them. them and unravel them and change the conformation like we stated before. And turn them off. We need enzymes to come in to chop them up. Yeah. Okay? okay? So, in the stomach, the concentration of hydrogen ions is greater than 100 millimolar, right? Which is, which, like I said, in the blood, it's 0.00004 so millimolar. what's the pH of it then? Between uh, 2 to 3. Okay. Yeah. So it's very fairly low. Yeah, okay. and in the pancreas, some of the fluids that the pancreas releases, it's below ten
2: nanomolar. So, like between eight and ten. Correct.
1: pH. pH.
2: And that's to neutralise that acid that coming coming into your intestines.
0: Exactly right.
2: Okay. All right. But before we move on, just quick, quickly, just tell the listeners, Mike. Yeah. Um. What are, What are the main reasons why we want to keep that pH at that? 7.35, 7.45 range?
1: Well, because of... Uh, to be succinct is to keep those proteins working happy, healthy okay. and efficiently. Uh, let so, me basically, give ex-
2: so basically, if it goes out to that range, serious things will happen.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, but different um, proteins, different structures within the body will respond differently to depending on how drastic the changes are. So, for example, the proton pumps within our body. We know that nearly every single cell in the bo- body has a proton pump okay. to create a chemical gradient, and mm-hmm. these chemical gradients will either help the brain fire off or the heart to contract or whatever it may be. These, The activity of the sodium-potassium ATPase pump, its activity will fall by half Okay. If the pH
2: shifts by one pH unit. So this is a pump. This is a little bit of machinery on your cell membranes to keep the equilibrium or to keep the concentration of sodium and potassium in the right level. That's right. And so it's it's dependent on energy. Yep. So it pumps out generally three sodium goes out of the cell. That's right. P- two potassium goes into the cell. This yep. is happening all the time. Oh yeah, without it, we'll be gone. Okay. And you're saying... If the pH does what
1: changes shifts by one pH unit. So is that? What does that mean? So let's say if it shifts from uh, uh, seven point five yep. down to six point five. Okay. Your sodium potassium ATPS pumps will their activity will halve. Okay. Now, if we have a look at um, a, a very important enzyme called phosphofructokinase. Okay. Now this is involved in uh, getting energy from glucose, mm-hmm. right?
2: So a sugar, making, so, making an energy molecule from sugar?
1: That's right. Now, this is important to get all this ATP, all this energy from, from glucose, from sugar. If the pH drops by less than 0.1, so let's say it goes from 7.35 yeah, to 7.45, oh, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. Or 7.35 to 7.25, its activity will drop by 90%. Wow. So and this is important to get energy. So yeah. so the pH, again, so it depends on where we're looking at. But what we're trying to highlight here is that small changes in pH, or small change, which are indicative of small changes in hydrogen ion concentrations, can result in drastic okay. physiological consequences. And
2: therefore, we have these buffer buffering systems in the body to stop resist that. that. Yep. Now, before we go on to the, what these buffers are, yes. let's just quickly tell. The viewers, listeners, yeah. Yeah. not really viewing, are they? No. Um, what, where are these acids coming from? All right. So um, my question to you, Mike. Yes, Matt. Where is the greatest, greatest source of acid in the body? So
1: In the body or coming from into the body?
2: No, no. Within the body.
1: What is the greatest producer of hydrogen ions within the body?
2: Yeah, more or less. Mm.
1: I would say... Carbon dioxide? Wonderful. Excellent. That's weird though. Like from so the outset. So CO2. Yeah.
2: So carbon and two oxygen. Mm.
1: How does that produce hydrogen? Oil?
2: All right. There's
1: no H there. So first of all, just... Just maths. Just, maths.
2: Just tell everyone firstly... Yeah. Um, ...where ca- carbon dioxide comes from.
1: Okay. Your... You take a breath in. You bring in oxygen. That oxygen jumps into your blood and that oxygen travels to all the tissues of your body. Yep. The oxygen gets taken into the cells. Yep. It's taken to the mitochondria with the mitochondria. We use that oxygen and a little bit of other stuff. So glucose, for example, well, basically... You
2: make it sound like not important. Well, Uh, it's of it, A little little bit of of this glucose. So
1: glucose plus oxygen gives you 32 to 34 ATP molecules. Okay. But with a byproduct of carbon dioxide.
2: Okay. So that's the exhaust fume.
1: Basically, yeah.
2: So they're like your little production plants.
1: So now we've produced carbon dioxide which then goes back into the blood.
2: Yeah, and so carbon dioxide which I read this morning is actually considered kind of a, a volatile acid. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you put CO2 as this volatile acid uh, or gas almost mm. into your out of your cell, yeah. The first thing it's probably going to hit is what's 60ish percent of your body
1: for me, muscle. Okay. <laughs> Water.
2: Water, yeah. yeah. So that's, again, that boomerang. Yeah. So when you chuck CO2 with that boomerang, H2O, it's going to give you this long thing called H2CO3. That's which carbonic, is carbonic acid. carbonic acid. But
1: carbonic acid, hmm. it's in the name. Acid, what does that tell you that carbonic acid is going to do? Since it's an acid, H2CO3,
2: Yeah. So it's then, an it, acid. So then, yeah, okay, Michael, get it. It's going to be able to donate... Those hydrogen ions or protons.
1: So, so H2CO3 H2 will donate a hydrogen ion. So H plus. So you minus one
2: H from H2CO3. Yep. What are we going to have? We'll just take it one H off. So we just HCO3.
1: But because it. we've taken a H off and taken a positive with it, yep. we're left with a, a negative, negative with a HCO3. So it's HCO3 negative.
2: So that's the anion, right?
1: That's the anion. So carbon dioxide, CO2, plus water, H2O. You just do the mass, you add them together, gives you H two CO three. That's how you get your acid. Yeah, that's carbonic acid. It hates itself because it's an acid so it splits itself apart, it releases a hydrogen ion, and now you get H plus with HCO three negative. Okay. So the H plus is that proton, the hydrogen ion that does all the damage, yep. and the H C O three negative is what we call the conjugate base, and that's known as bicarbonate bicarbonate. Right. Very important physiologically. So the
2: take-home message here is the greatest source of acids in your body is actually through metabolism and the production of CO2. Correct? Correct. And so when you are bumping up your metabolic rate or, you know or need to produce more ATP, like mm. exercising, mm. you're going to be producing heaps more CO2. Yeah. Therefore, you're going to, in theory, kind of go more acidic. Yeah. Therefore, you need to get rid of that pretty quickly. Yep. Otherwise, you, as we said, you're going to die. Preach it, Maddie. So, <laughs> therefore, you need to get rid of it. Yes. So, I mean, as you all know, what happens when you exercise, one of the first things that happen, you breathe quicker. That's right. Okay. But let's pause there. Pause. Because I just want to talk about some other... Ways of getting acid into your body. Okay. So that wasn't kind of an intrinsic way of getting acid. Mm-hmm. There are still other extrinsic methods. Mm-hmm. So, like, you ingest certain foods that will have capabilities of produce an acid.
1: Can we preface this part of the conversation by saying that we're not talking about specifically eating or drinking acidic or basic foods? Mm, yeah. Because that does not change the pH of your blood. However, if you ingest more proteins, for example... Certain
2: types of proteins.
1: Certain types of proteins. That so, can produce more hydrogen ions. Yep. So, I believe... Don't drink alkali water is basically what I'm saying because what it's not going to have any effect. Okay. By the time it hits your stomach, you got, like I said, You're a huge a concentration. One, one, two, three. Yeah.
2: All right. So, I, I read just recently also that... Um, I think animal proteins give you a greater propensity of producing more acidics. Why? Uh, I think it's just the amino acids in the proteins. So, um, for instance, for instance, the amino acid, uh, cysteine, um, has sulfur in it. And so that has the propensity to produce the acid sulfuric acid. Yep. Okay. Then you have, uh, phosphates. Yeah. Okay. And so this is not so much, well, I guess phospholipids. Yeah. So cell membranes. So whether it's plants or animals, phospholipids can be broken down into phosphoric acid. Mm -hmm. Um, We've already spoken about hydrochloric acid. Um, Another one. These two are probably more intrinsic. So like happen within the body, like CO2. Um, We have something. If you exercise really vigorously, yes, uh, and you don't get enough oxygen down to your cells. We go into what we call an anaerobic phase of metabolism. What do we produce? And we produce lactic acid or lactate. Yes. And so lactic acid (laughs) is... It doesn't have the... The the glucose hasn't got the ability to go into the mitochondria. It just happens within the cell cytoplasm. And as a result, less ATP is produced, but we produce an acid.
1: Quickly. Fair fair to say? Well, yeah, we do produce ATP. But but we do, but not at the same amount.
2: Correct. And the other one, which is more of a pathology, mm. is... Well, not always, but generally, it's associated with um, going into a different metabolic state where you don't have the abundance of carbohydrates and you go into the use of fats. Mm. And that's called ketogenesis. That's right. Um, that produces acids Beta- like... Now, you say them all because like
1: Beta-hydroxybutyrate. Yep. Uh, acetoacetate. And acetic acetone. acid. And acetone, yeah.
2: And so that can be just in through normal diets or lack of carbohydrate in, in intake. So, I think if you do it through
1: normal dietary means, you won't get the acidosis. You won't produce a sufficient amount of hydrogen ions to, to change your blood pH. Okay. But if you do it... But if it happens... Pathologically. Through, pathologically. So... Most commonly. Uh, diabetes. Type 1 diabetics yeah. who either aren't managing their insulin yeah. or haven't taken any insulin or don't even know they're a diabetic yet. Yeah. What well, happened
2: certain, you know, they're, they're sick, just had surgery, their demand's gone up.
1: Because I think it's important that, as we know, we did a podcast talking about um, using... No, we did diabetes. Yeah, but we also spoke about using glucose... Uh, as an energy source uh, fatty acids glycerol as an energy source and proteins as an energy source that our body is going to be using glucose a lot of the time because that's what our brain wants and needs and we will also be using fats to a degree and Mm -hmm. and some proteins but insulin is is that key is that trigger to tell us to start utilizing glucose right yeah. so it tells us to bring the glucose into the cells and start metabolizing it
2: and i think it's also it's anabolic right so it allows you to store um fats and so forth easier and so when you don't have that you break down fats so
1: without with zero insulin in the body yeah. that's when this ketogenesis really starts to kick in
2: and then oh, the take-home point is um the ketoacidosis is an acid forming state, yeah. And then, so people, let's say, with diabetes ketoacidosis, which is an acronym of DKA, mm-hmm. can be quite devastating as well because they their pH will drop, okay, go towards um, the zero side, and they can be really sick. They mm. can be um, altered levels of consciousness <coughs> to in a coma yeah. to dying, so yeah, pretty serious. So there are the sources of acids. So, yeah. we spoke about what an acid is, what a base is, what yeah. a buffer is, what's yeah. important to regulate in pH, yeah. and where you get the acids from. Yeah. Let's finally finish off, because I think we're gonna run out of time today to talk about um, how we clinically test it, mm. which is the ABGs. Mm. Let's just quickly talk about what are the different types, very briefly, different types of buffers in the body. Yeah, okay.
1: So, you've got so extracellular and intracellular, it's probably okay. good to state.
2: So, within the cell or outside the cell? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just quickly knock off proteins. Mm-hmm. So, as we spoke about kind of a bit earlier, proteins are just these complicated arrangements of amino acids. Mm-hmm. Now, in the amino acids, they have these structures. Um, at one end, they've got an amino N, which is what is it, CH3? CH4? Yeah. yeah. Ability to swing between a 3 and a Mm 4. Is that right? Yeah. And at the other end, they've got a C-double-O-H. Is that right? Yep. Okay. With the ability to go um, with the H or without the H. Now, each amino acid will have this join into their next neighbor, next neighbor, next neighbor, next neighbor. Now, that means depending on what type of amino acid there are, and I believe there's 20. Is that right, Michael? Yeah. 20 types of amino acids. Depending on the type of amino acids in these proteins would determine... The capacity of the proteins to suck up hydrogen or donate hydrogen. So basically, you have proteins in your body, and Mm -hmm. what's the most, particularly the blood, what's the most abundant protein in your blood? Albumin. Oh, yeah, you're right. But one of the best ones that's soaking it up is hemoglobin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's intracellular. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I mean hemoglobin's in the red blood cell. Yeah, but its its capacity of buffering is in the extracellular fluid.
1: So yeah, well the ma- yeah. So the main intracellular buffers are proteins and phosphates, and yeah. hemoglobin is the main buffer within red blood cells. If you look at extracellular bicarbonate carbon dioxide yeah. system, which so, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that in, a sec- in a second. That's the most prominent, but plasma proteins such as albumin and inorganic phosphates are also buffers. Um, your bone also acts as a, as a buffer because it can absorb hydrogen ions and it's in got, exchange for so sodium it's got phosphate and potassium in it, phosphate calcium. But yeah, it releases calcium, carbonate, phosphates, bicarbonate. So, so why forth.
2: is that necessarily important to mention?
1: Because acid-base changes can also change your bone structure to a degree. Mm.
2: So if you've um, if your body's kind of trying to balance out or buffer. An acidic environment for a long period of time, mm. you might actually demineralize your bone, which That's right. makes it weaker. Mm. Which may give you, you can do
1: the experiment. You can take chicken bone. I,
2: actually, oh yeah, this is a really cool one. I did some work experience with uh, an orthopedic surgeon, mm-hmm. and we had a builder come in, and he broke his humerus. Um, wasn't so very wasn't, funny. Wasn't funny at all. <laughs> so it was his upper arm um, bone.
1: Oh, is that the humerus?
2: Well, not everyone's anonymous like you. Okay. Um, so, he broke that bone. Don't ask me how, but he broke it. And he came in, so it was set. He came in, I, I can't remember how long. Maybe, let's say, three weeks later? Yeah. Maybe a bit more, four weeks later. re x rayed Hadn't healed at all. Not one bit? Not one bit. Why? So, the surgeon said to him, Hmm. Bob. Builder. <laughs> Do you drink Coke? Oh. And he said, No, of course not. I drink Pepsi. Oh. <laughs> and so I looked at him and go, Why are you asking that? And he said, Well, in cola, I think colas, they have phosphoric acid. Yeah. yeah. And so that phosphate is sucking um uh, out of the bone. Out of the yeah, bone. Yeah. So that's causing a buffering thing yeah but it also pulls the phosphate probably calcium out of his bone Mm. therefore he doesn't want that to happen because he's trying to heal yeah so he can't heal that's interesting so they then said to him you got to cut off because he's having you know six cans a day Mm. and he's like oh you need to stop that so he's stopped came back six weeks later healed so this just indicates phosphate yeah so phosphate is a buffer yeah. Too much hydrogen, too much uh, base plays around with that. Yeah, So it can fluctuate between a basic and an acidic state. Right? And so
1: you can do a, a little experiment, which we do with our students, where you take some chicken bones and you bake them and you can put them in vinegar. And if you leave them in vinegar, which is an acid for long enough, you take them out, the bones can bend like rubber. And the reason uh-huh. why is because you're taking out all the mineral deposits so the bicarbonate and the phosphates and the carbonate and so forth. All of this
2: So what does baking do? Does that cause
1: So baking gets rid of the uh, extracellular matrix so the, the, the collagen. The, the collagen and so forth. All right. So one gets rid of the organics, one gets brittle. rid of the inorganic makes it brittle. Right. So it keeps it so remember that the minerals harden the bone yep, and then yep. you've got all the gels and fibres which yes. sort of um, hold it together. So one collagen so, one. Yeah. And so if you put vinegar in, it's going to get rid of those minerals, demineralize the bone okay. it and makes it rubbery. makes it rubbery.
2: So is that, there's so a disease like that, isn't it? There's is a pageant disease?
1: Maybe. I Don't that. put me on the spot, thank you. All
2: right. So that's, it. that's a good one. So yeah. the first buffer that will just, we spoke about proteins already. So proteins can be extracellular, intra, intracellular. Yeah, let push that to the side. Yeah, we've done that.
1: Let's talk about the main
2: buffering system. Weight. Phosphate, we just spoke about. Yeah. Phosphate can fluctuate from... It's acidic and it's more basic form, is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and what is the most common uh, types of phosphates in the body?
1: Well, phosphate that's coming from ATP, for example.
2: Yeah, very good. So, you, the, the, the form of phosphate is dihydrogen phosphate, which is H2PO4, okay? And then it can swap into the a proton and then HPO4 to negative. Yeah, yeah, which is the major form, and yeah. th- I think the most common ways you get the phosphate, or the most uh, abundant types of phosphates in the body, is from ATP. Yep, adenosine try, 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 tri. tri, tri, tri yeah, I try, I try, and try and get phosphate, it. Yep. or glu- glucose, glucose one phosphate, which yeah. is a, a energy product of yeah. glucose. Right, so that's the phosphate. So we have, so far we've got buffers of proteins, we've got the buffers of phosphates, and what's the big one?
1: The big one is the bicarbonate carbon dioxide buffering system, and this bicarbonate buffering system has uh, bicarbonate involved, and that is the base, and uh, carbon dioxide involved, and that is basically the acid because we. Basically. Said And so carbon dioxide, we know when it mixes with water, releases the hydrogen ions like we stated before. So that's an acid. It's producing hydrogen ions and the bicarbonate mops up the hydrogen ions. We didn't state that that equation that we spoke about before, which is the CO2 plus H2O, carbon dioxide plus water, gives carbonic acid, which is the H2CO3, which then splits off and releases hydrogen ions and bicarbonate, that that's reversible. We didn't actually state that. Oh, okay. And because it's a buffer, it needs to be reversible because if it wants to absorb or mop up hydrogen ions, it goes towards the direction of the CO2. And if it wants to produce more hydrogen ions, it goes towards the direction of the bicarbonate hydrogen ions end. Right. So I always like to picture it sitting on like a little balance beam in which depending did on what... you call that
2: last time? Tita
1: totter Teter, teter, totter <laughs>
2: I think it's a teeter totter in the states, isn't
1: it? One person, a seesaw. It's yeah, a seesaw.
2: I prefer a seesaw. I think most people would.
1: <laughs> and so, depending on what's going on. So, if so, this is how I like to think about it. If, for example, you have too much or too many hydrogen ions in the body, it gets mopped up by the bicarbonate and pushes that equation in the direction of CO two production. And so, what do you do? You start <laughs> breathing heavily.
2: I thought f- you said. Should- We're going to say turn into a dog.
1: Yeah, you turn into a dog and you breathe out all that CO2 because that's how you expel the acid, breathe out CO2. Because
2: carbon dioxide is the volatile acid. That's right. Whereas the hydrogen and probably lesser degree the carbonic acid is a fixed acid.
1: Yep, that's right. And so this carbonic acid or bicarbonate buffering system, you need to be aware of the bicarbonate that's involved. Yeah. And the CO2 that's involved. Okay. okay. So the bicarbonate is the base and the CO2 is the acid. Now, yeah. Yeah. this is the major buffering system in the body. Yep. Okay. Now...
2: And it's just to recap, it's called the bicarbonate buffering system.
1: Bicarbonate buffering system. Sometimes you'll see it written as the bicarbonate ca- uh, carbon dioxide system. Okay. All right. Now, there's two major body systems that actually play around with hydrogen ions and bicarbonate ions.
2: Okay. So just to pause for one second.
1: Which we've done many times because <laughs> you like to I always out. like pausing.
2: <sighs> um, so, am I sh- uh, safe to assume... Maybe that not. ...that when your body is in this constant dynamic f- state of yeah. going between slightly... Teter-tottering. Um Depending on what you're eating, consuming and... Depending on what your body's doing, metabolical, metabolically. <laughs> <laughs> metabolically, metabolically, yes. yeah, Metabolicy. and also uh, if there's disease states, etc., how much you exercise, and all this kind of stuff. All this stuff is determining, you know, if your what buffering systems are working. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, your body is, and in so maybe you could assume. I've got nothing to back this up, but you could assume maybe that when um, the system's a bit overwhelmed, let's mm-hmm. say then you need to bring in maybe these respiratory or the renal system to try and... Because um, the, the proteins, the phosphates, the intracellular buffer may be a bit overloaded. Yeah, I mean, you can, if,
1: you, if you bring it back to first principles and have a think about what happens, the thing... If we have too many hydrogen ions in the body, yeah. it's constantly going to be buffered by bicarbonate, right? And so the bicarbonate will bind to the hydrogen and it will ultimately produce CO2. And so you're going to have CO2 and that CO2 needs to be breathed out. Now, mm-hmm. our stimulus for, respira- for, for breathing, for ventilation is CO2 levels, right? Hmm. It's, not, it's high CO2 levels, not low O2 levels. Yep. And it's because CO2 levels can change far more drastically because of, the bi- because of the hydrogen ion concentration in the blood than O2 levels dropping. Because if I were to, for example, right now hold my breath What's happening there is that the O2 that I've got in my bloodstream is going, it's to it's bound to hemoglobin. It's going around and predominantly. it's predominantly um, 98.5% of it's bound to hemoglobin. Yeah, the yeah, rest yeah. is dissolved in the blood. Yeah. As it's moving through the cardiovascular system, small amounts of O2 will be delivered to tissues. Not all of that O2 is going to disassociate, right, from mm-hmm. the hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. Mm. So as the even though we like to say that the arterial system is oxygenated and the venous system isn't. It's not necessarily true. It's just a little bit less oxygen in the venous system, right? So when you hold your breath and you don't bring any new O2 in, O2 is continually circulating and you're only giving off small amounts of O2 to the tissues because your body's actually quite good at saturating the hemoglobin. But what tends to build up far more quickly is the CO2. Mm. And so that CO2 that's building up then stimulates chemoreceptors. Do you know where some of these chemoreceptors are in the body?
2: Well, there's the peripheral ones and then the central ones. So yep. I, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the the, the peripheral ones, are uh, they generally are more uh, reacting to carbon dioxide. Yep. And that would be like aorta and the carotid body. Yep. And then you have the central ones, which are in medulla, which yeah. is right near your breathing center anyway. Yep. And that's... CO two, but more hydrogen, right? Yeah, it's both. And so I think that's also what's in the CSF, so the cerebral mm-hmm. spinal fluid, as well as what's crossing over from the blood.
1: Yes. So the stimulus to breathe is going to be that CO two, and it's because we need to get rid of the acid. Yeah, it's pretty, that's sen- why. pretty sensitive stuff. So yes.
2: Um, then we can assume that um, if whatever's happening in your body um, is overloading all these buffering systems, then you might kick in to your breathing. Mm. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I'd say. It, but the thing is, it doesn't... Which is
2: really playing around with the CO2. It, and it,
1: it might be... I don't want the listeners to think that the breathing mechanism is the last mechanism. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's not as though it's going to use all these buffering systems and now it's overwhelmed. Now we're going to be breathing like this. It's not. That's not necessarily the case. It doesn't take much for your breathing to kick in and control uh, your uh, carbon dioxide levels and... And mm. Therefore hydrogen ion and I guess you, in,
2: if in a lower amount, you mightn't even know that your respiratory rate's increased, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, think about it. Seven point three five, seven point four five. Anything below seven point three five, you're gonna have to. You should start probably worrying, mm. right? You get to seven point two, you get acidosis. And that acidosis is just telling you you've got far too many hydrogen ions floating around in your bloodstream and it can be dangerous.
2: Okay, so let's talk about that now, I think.
1: Well, let me first talk about the the two major systems of the body that control All right. the buffers. Yep. Okay, so like I said, the main thing we want to focus on here is CO2. Yep and hydrogen ions and bicarbonate. They're the major things. Now, the CO2 and hydrogen ions are quite synonymous because if you've got more CO2, you've got more hydrogen ions, right? And then the bicarbonate is going to be the conjugate base that can mop up Mm -hmm. the high. So, to make things simple, if you have high CO2 or high hydrogen ions, you're going to be closer to being in a state of acidosis. Mm. If you have low levels of carbon dioxide, low levels of hydrogen ions, Closer to a state of, state of alkalosis, right? So alkalinity is the same as base, basically.
2: And I think, um, just to confuse the listeners here... Which you've already done. I do that a lot. You can actually be... Because there's a difference between acidosis and acidemia.
1: Uh, absolutely. And so Acidemia I, is referring specifically to blood. what's going on in the blood, yeah. that's right.
2: And so I think that's more likely to be a, a constant... Well, well, in that one case whereas an acidotic you could be maybe have a degree of acidosis somewhere and a, a degree of alkalosis somewhere else mm. but the collective amount so it could be mixed but the collective amount in the blood can only be one that's right and 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 so when we're doing an ABG which we'll do the next podcast, podcast yeah. we're actually looking at what that state is so if yeah. you've got an acidosis that's in your blood so it's more like anemia really right mm. or alkalosis or oremia and whether it's which you're going to talk about now. Is it's coming from the respiratory or... Yeah.
1: So, so if you're looking at, uh, basically, if you're looking at the hydrogen ions going up and the carbon dioxide going up, acidosis, like I said, if they go too low, it's going to be alkalosis. When you look at the bicarbonate, if the bicarbonate goes too high, alkalosis, because the base is going up, or if the bicarbonate goes too low, acidosis. So, that's mm. important for the listeners to be aware of because,
2: basically... So, there's really only four states if out of whack.
1: Yeah, basically. And so listeners need to be aware that this is pretty much what's going to happen. Now, the thing is that the body can control carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions and bicarbonate through different mechanisms. And it's mainly through two major body systems, which is the respiratory system and the renal system, right? Okay. Now, the respiratory we sort of touched upon because through gas exchange, we get rid of carbon dioxide. Mm. So if I hold my breath, I increase carbon dioxide, which means I increase the acid. Yeah. So if I don't have enough hydrogen ions, what do you think I could do? <gasps> Hold my breath. Mm. If I have too many hydrogen ions, I start breathing faster and get rid of, wash out that CO2. Mm. Um, so there's that. The re- So that's how the respiratory system controls acid base through CO2 s- explicitly.
2: And because it's a fixed system, it can only really do, like your lungs as a collective, two lungs mm. as a collective can only really play around with the speed, right? Yeah. Maybe the depth and speed. Yeah, that's right. Whereas the second system you're going to now mm. can probably fine-tune it a bit more. Yeah, we
1: often say that the respiratory system is an acute means, short-term means for changing blood pH. So what does
2: that mean? Like minutes? minutes, Like really seconds minutes? Seconds. Second minutes, hours. Yeah. Playing s- around with the acute level. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas now moving down to the kidney...
1: Which, which we haven't stated. The renal system is now the second system that can control blood pH. And that's both
2: levels of hydrogen and bicarbonate.
1: Yeah. So we know from our previous podcasts, we spoke about where hydrogen ions can get reabsorbed and excreted, for example, Mm. in the kidneys uh, and where this happens for bicarbonate. Yeah. And so basically when we look at the renal system, we stated that at the proximal convoluted tubule, that's where we reabsorb, so that means throw back into our body, back into our blood, 85% of the filtered bicarbonate. And so we spoke about carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, yep. right? We spoke yep. about the the, as the diuretic. The diuretic, yep. Yeah. And that it inhibits, so this is like acetazolamide, and this inhibits um, this bicarbonate reabsorption happening at that tubule. So this can. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, okay. So um, at the distal tubule we excrete bicarbonate ions, so that's where we pee it out. So we, so this is how our kidneys can control our blood pH, by reabsorbing bicarbonate if we need to become more basic or expelling hydrogen ions. And
2: remember, that's what I spoke about in terms of when I climbed Mount Everest. Oh, um, that's right. Less oxygen up there, breathing quicker. As I breathe in more, I'm not only getting more oxygen, but I'm dispelling or getting rid of mm. CO2. Yes. So if I'm getting rid of my CO2... That more basic. I'm big, that means I'm actually losing my hydrogen yes. indirectly, which makes me more basic. That means my kidneys need to do what? Uh,
1: excrete more bicarbonate. Right, which
2: I did because I kept on, had to go to the toilet and pee. Yes, yes. All
1: right, so now shall we talk about the different states in which the body can be in? So because... Yep. So I think You can uh, have acidosis or alkalosis, but it can be due... Either to respiratory means, yep, which basically means you either have too much CO two or not enough CO two. That's basically respiratory acidosis, too much CO two, yeah. respiratory alkalosis, not enough CO two, and then you can have
2: metabolic acidosis, which, which is, is which is b- bicarbonate driven, and a bit of hydrogen. In terms of bi- bicarbonate levels, so basically w- when we do our ABG next week, our blood gas, we're going to go through this systematically. Mm. but essentially the take-home message is if you have an acidotic or an alkalotic state Acrylic, and you want to yeah. see if it's coming from the respiratory system, mm. you're purely looking at CO2. Yeah. But if you want to see if it's metabolic, whether it's an acidosis, first you've got to know the pH. Mm. Um, and then if you've established it's a pH issue and you think it might be a metabolic cause, then you're purely looking at bicarbonate.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so when we look at metabolic acidosis, we're so looking at so this is going to be like you said it, it could be due to uh decreased uh, urinary secretion of hydrogen ions yeah it so could you're be holding a, on a, to too much
2: that's right could be a so what are we, what are we doing acidosis
1: metabolic acidosis okay
2: so it's metabolic so it's within the body outside the respiratory yeah
1: so uh, should we should we go one by one and start with the respiratory we done yeah, sure. it. Yeah, sure.
2: Let's start at respiratory. Okay. I so think it's easier to get the head around.
1: All right. Let's start first respiratory acidosis. So two two words point, in there.
2: The first point I'll just make mm. before we go into the particular diseases. Mm. Um, I think the the real essential take home message is whether it's a respiratory acidosis, so pH too low, or a respiratory alkalosis, pH too high. We know it's coming from the lungs. It's yes. simply either you're breathing too quick, which is going to be alkalosis because you've lost too much CO2. Yeah. Or you're breathing too slow, like you said, holding your breath. So you have all your conditions which are caused by hypoventilation. Or, on the other end, you have all these conditions that are causing hyperventilation. Mm. So, so it's,
1: it's basically you know it's respiratory-based and it, it may not just be air into the alveoli and air out of the alveoli. Right. It could also be ventilation perfusion, right? Yeah, right? So it could be a ventilation or respiration. Remember, ventilation is air in and out of the lungs and respiration is gas exchange at the tissue. Yep. So some of the, like you said, some, some of the basic causes for respiratory acidosis. So, could start be, with,
2: so start with acidosis? Yep. Okay. So this is essentially too much CO2. That's
1: right. And some of the causes could be decreased alveolar ventilation, so that means there's not enough air going in and out of the alveoli. Okay, that makes sense because that means CO2 can't get released okay. and it's stuck in the blood.
2: Yeah, and the mo- one of the most common causes of that is
1: uh, drugs, drug overdose, Dr- drug. No, I know you, drugs if definitely.
2: You, if you don't, if you're down at the alveoli level, mm. and it's just a, an exchange issue.
1: Oh no, I'm not talking about same, I'm talking about ventilation. I'm talking about um, air getting in and out of the alveoli. From the atmosphere, air coming oh, okay. out from the environment into the alveolar and coming back out. So you've got decreased v- alveolar ventilation.
2: Okay, so let's start with just moving through the, the exchange out in. Mm. I mean, like, the most obvious would be um, if you're doing acidosis, we're, so we're retaining CO2 mm. or our breathing rate's um, hyperventilate, hypoventilation, mm. so not enough to what it should be. Yeah. Start with what drives the speed of your breathing.
1: Okay, so are we going to start central, Go start exactly. centrally and move outwards?
2: Yeah, so brainstem or the okay. respiratory center in your brainstem, yep. which dictates the speed. So medulla and pons are yeah. basically respiratory control there's centers? A, there's a depression there. Okay. So it's being depressed. Yeah. And so some common things would be... Drugs. Yeah, like opioids. Yeah. Or anesthesia. Yes. Okay. Or too much alcohol. Okay. I so wouldn't it, know. Or um, brain injury. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Sedatives. That kind of stuff. Okay. And then we well, let's before we go down into the tract, let's uh, just have a look at what else you need to have a good breathing. Uh
1: so you need the um, musculoskeletal system.
2: Yep. So you have need to have um, nerves going down to the muscles to tell them to work. Yeah. So if you have uh, neurological problems, so, so it could
1: be a s- peripheral nervous system issue.
2: Yep. So you might have well, nerve damage. Yep. So, I think it's Guillain-Barr syndrome. Yeah, Gillian barr syndrome. Or you might have spinal cord injury yeah. if it's really high up. Above yeah. Or you have phrenic nerve, which innervates the diaphragm. Some um, lesions somewhere. Myasthenia gravis. Yeah. yeah. Good. And then you go into the wall itself. So, that could be more anatomical. So, yeah. people can have broken, broken, rib. broken ribs. Or polio.
1: Maybe not here in Australia, but polio that to go into the eye and lung because of the the fact it's a musculoskeletal disorder. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't get that breathing happening appropriately. Scoliosis? Scoliosis? Severe scoliosis. So, scoliosis and kyphosis and lordosis, they're all basically um, uh, structural issues with the spine. Yep, the vertebrae. Lordosis,
2: I can't think of having a big impact on it, but scoliosis, probably kyphosis could.
1: Yeah, maybe not lordosis, because that's just basically like a hunch. But scoliosis is an S-bend, you know, lateral S-bend yeah, yeah, of the spine. Yeah. And that's going to alter the where the ribs sit into the spine and where those ribs then articulate with the musculature. And how well it can expand. Yeah.
2: And, and surprisingly, another big one is um, obesity. So, really? Yeah, because you have an increased intra abdominal pressure, oh. which restricts the lungs expanding. Well, there you go.
1: So these are all... Issues in all of these systems or areas can result in hypoventilation, which is decreased air in and out of the lungs. Essentially, yeah. And
2: and then you go into the lung itself. So this is intrinsic lung issues. So you might have problems with the lung expanding. So these are restrictive diseases Okay. like sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis, yeah. And then you go down to what you're saying in terms of patent airways. So this probably... Pulmonary
1: edema as well, by the way.
2: Yeah, so that's... Probably gas exchange. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec, yeah. And then you go to like chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases. Yes,
1: so that's going to be like asthma, chronic bronchitis, emphysema. These are narrowed or blocked airways. So it could be blocked due to mucus or it's narrowed like in asthma because the smooth muscle's constricting, air can't get in and out. Or it could be due to emphysema, for example, where the alveoli walls start to disintegrate and you don't have an appropriate surface for gas exchange to occur.
2: Or pneumonia where you've got a lot of you know, pus or um, fluid extradite from that infection.
1: And it's important to say that if you do have some sort of pulmonary edema, what's happening there is that the increased fluid is at the respiratory membrane. And gases want to move across the thinnest membrane possible. If you've got a fluid there, that's a thicker medium to get through, right? And so that alters the, the ability for the gases to diffuse through.
0: Yeah. So,
1: so these are the major... Major causes, categories, categories almost, yeah. of respiratory acidosis, yeah.
2: and that's all driven by all that is essentially hypoventilation, yeah. I and think we go, did
1: that well, don't you
2: think? Well, I thought we kind of did, but yeah, who knows? Now well, we move to the opposite, the which is which is the respiratory alkalosis. Yeah, so this is the opposite. You're breathing too quick. Yeah, you're getting CO two out too too much. Yeah. So think about it. CO2 washout was sometimes call. When do you when have you seen someone who is breathing really quick?
1: When they're hyperventilating.
2: Yeah. And so that's brilliant so Thank a, you. I, can, I love
1: it when you when you I commend can, me on on knowing what I should know for my job. A
2: condition a condition that causes a person to hyperventilate. Yes. Tell me.
1: Uh, anytime you see me come into work you get anxious mm. and this anxiety forces every time i walk past your office door you're breathing into a brown paper bag
2: i think and that now you get confused with me vomiting <laughs> so which which surprisingly if yeah. i keep doing that would cause me to have uh, acid-based problem but, if i yeah, keep vomiting of course we'll
1: talk about that shortly because yeah. that's metabolic very good um so respiratory alkalosis Anxiety can cause somebody to hyperventilate yep. and that's breathing too quickly, which means you wash out all the CO2. If you wash it all out, it's not in your blood, which means there's no hydrogen ions being made, which means you've got a mismatch between hydrogen ions and bicarbonate ions and you're alkalitic. Yep. And you have alkalosis. Uh, can, we, can we just quickly, I think it's important to say, when somebody hyperventilates and they pass out, that's got to do with the fact that carbon dioxide and oxygen play around with the diameter of the cerebral vasculature. And when you have not enough CO2, your cerebral blood vessels tend to constrict. Okay. And the blood going to your brain reduces and you pass out. Okay? So that's why when somebody is hyperventilating to stop them from passing out they give them a brown paper bag it doesn't have to be brown it's just a bag to breathe into because they're recycling they're the not CO2 plastic I think that's the point yeah I mean paper. Matt has handed me a plastic bra- bag to breathe into but um I was just trying
2: to suff- suffocate
1: <laughs> and you breathe in and out of that because you're reintroducing the CO2 back into mm. your body so to you're maintain that. levels
2: which you know in in the clinic you will have some oxygen masks that are rebreathers so you are recycling the air that's going out Makes Been. sense.
1: There's so many studies coming out about giving patients O2. We'll talk yep. about that another time. Yeah, I think so.
2: Um, so, anything else that might cause a person to breathe quick, like pain. If a person's in a lot of pain, they'll breathe more rapidly and that of pain. could cause a pH issue. Other um, thing, going back to drugs, so certain drugs um, like salicylates. will Yeah, like aspirin. Yeah, that.
1: salicylic acid, aspirin.
2: Yep. Um, obviously if I don't know why,
1: do you know why? Why why aspirin uh, intoxication can cause this? No. Yeah, we probably should have investigated that. Um, Hypoxia, so up on top of a mountain like, like you I stated spoke. before.
2: Yeah. Um that was last summer when I was um on the North Face.
1: I was wondering why you don't have those you, any of your toes left. Yeah. Your your feet look like the bottom of an elephant's leg.
2: <laughs> they do have toenails.
1: Yeah, you've got toenails but you have got no toes.
2: All right. Uh, other things, uh, infections. So, you have mm. a fever or you've um, got some kind of in- inflammation on board, you could cause uh, a, an increase in breathing. Um, probably, I think you spoke about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, but I think also um, acute asthma can cause an increased breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, that could... There's
1: short, sharp, shallow breaths. Yeah. But if you do it enough, it will wash out CO2. Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, I think, so that's respiratory done.
2: I think that's respiratory. So I don't think there's much else we've kind of missed, is there?
1: No. Are we talking about compensation today? Compensatory? No, no, no. That's next week. Okay, okay. Or next podcast. So
2: let's now talk about metabolic acidosis. So now we go away from the lungs, but we still are looking at what would cause a, a state... We'll start with acidosis. What would cause a state of increased hydrogen ions? So it's basically the addition of... Or a decrease of, in bicarbonate.
1: Yeah, so it's basically an addition of acids... Other than carbon dioxide, right, yeah, and bicarbonate and carbonic yep. acid sorry it's an it's it's acids an addition of those of acids outside of c o two and carbonic acid, or the removal of of bases, yep, right,
2: so you've either got something on board like we spoke about earlier, which would cause that addition of acid, so we said certain things like lactic acid. Um, Diabetes, ketoacidosis.
1: Yep, so shock can put somebody into lactic acidosis. Uh,
2: And then you could just lose a lot lot of bicarbonate. How do you lose lose your bicarbonate?
1: Um, If, like Matthew, you decide to uh, travel overseas (laughs) and you tend to eat off the street and you're not used to eating off the street... When
2: he says eat off the street, it doesn't mean literally eating off the pavement. Well, that photograph that your wife sent me would say otherwise. Okay, I dropped... That rorty particle.
1: Severe vomiting and diarrhea.
2: I don't think so much vomiting. I think it's more diarrhea. Vomiting, absolutely. No, but vomiting, you're going to be losing acid. Yeah. Right? Not so much bicarbonate.
1: Uh, sorry, of course. I'm thinking yeah. alkalosis. Yeah, absolutely. So Just yeah, diarrhea. Diarrhea. Because you're losing a bunch of electrolytes through that.
2: Which actually I did develop from my, my trip to India. And I ended up in hospital in uh, Singapore. Yes. I'm not sure what my pH was. I didn't take it. But I did pass out.
1: Ah, well, that's <laughs> that's your vasovagal syncope.
2: No, no. Well, that's another separate thing altogether. We should talk about that.
1: Maybe not your specific case of vasovagal. Every okay, time you spew, that so you pass out. Loss of like
2: bicarbonate that. ions can be caused by um, diarrhoea. Yes, okay. severe or maybe it takes re- a fair bit renal issues.
1: So, or yeah, decreased urinary secretion of hydrogen ions, or increased.
2: Did you say increased? no? We're
1: talking about acidosis, so it's a decreased secretion of hydrogen ions so you're holding on to too many hydrogen ions oh yes sorry yes yeah or or loss of too many bicarbonates. so which is renal failure so renal failure can lead to metabolic acidosis all right does that make sense yep now what's happening to the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood here i know we're going to talk about it when we do abgs next week but we spoke about respiratory acidosis respiratory alkalosis and Mm. we said co2 levels are changing yeah do you see co2 levels changing at baseline for metabolic acidosis and metabolic alkalosis? Or can you see no changes in CO2?
2: Well, I think we'll really get into that next podcast, but essentially I think you'll start to see changes with the lungs trying to compensate.
1: Yeah, but f- at baseline you don't really see CO2 changes oh. because the causes are not CO2 driven. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah, I think I think that's what you're saying. We'll talk about <laughs> it next week. So, so what a- another big one is lactic acid. Yeah. Um, So this is where you exercise very vigorously. Um, I don't think you can exercise enough to
1: get into metabolic acidosis. You can't get into, as far as I'm aware, you can't get into metabolic acidosis through exercise. It has to be through something like shock or injury.
2: Well, I'll tell you a quick story. I had. Is it boring or is it interesting? I don't think it was. Um I had a in my health science degree mm. I had or actually the health science diploma, I had a um uh, it wasn't a professor, but the academic, mm. he was a sports scientist okay. and he did a lot of work with um cyclists. Yeah. And he he said to me it was anecdotal, he said to me that um the toughest sportsman that he's worked with a cyclist I to, push, would to agree. To, to push themselves. Oh yeah. And he said, um, he was in the lab doing the VO2 max yep. where they have the mask on and all that stuff. And he was kind of trying to motivate this particular cyclist. And yeah. Push at, him to extremes. Yell at him, swear at him, yeah. do all that kind of stuff. Smack him in the back of the head. Um, Kick call him, him. Call him, you know, names. Yeah. And he was so, pu- basically,
1: every day I come to work with
2: you. <laughs> And so, he was pushing him pretty hard. Yeah. And I think he was like getting to his max. Yeah. And um, there was a knock on the door and... This spot, the scientist, the academic went to the door and just said, Look, I've got a thing on. Walked back, and the guy had fallen off the bike. Yeah. And he had passed out. Yeah. From presumably this as an issue.
1: Oh, So they didn't test his blood pH.
2: I don't think he did.
1: I don't reckon. Look, he, he may have been on the cusp of pushing under 7.35, but I really, I I really can't see. Exercise pushing somebody to metabolic acidosis. It can it it won't be maintained. Lactic acid doesn't stay around very long in the body, it goes back to, yeah, to glucose substrate. That'd
2: be interesting. Let's put that I, out I to the honestly listeners. Think it's Let's put it to the listeners and say if they can
0: prove prove go. me yeah. wrong.
1: I'm happy to be I'm always happy to be proved wrong as long as it's not by Matt. I think that the majority of time that you get lactic acidosis is due to shock.
2: Alright. There you go, listeners, there's your job. Prove Michael wrong. Prove me wrong good luck and then you get a special gift if you do by me by me <laughs> okay I was gonna say you can purchase
1: the gift alright uh, is it an audio book uh, no is it a song is it a song that you wrote uh, specifically Look, about anatomy and it physiology a, um, that's,
2: that's it's still under wraps any, anyway, so we've got lactic acid, we've got loss of bicarbonate through my trip to, to India, yeah. uh, and we've got also ketoacidosis, which we spoke about as maybe in diabetes, but some people may get it if they starve, in starvation. Yeah. I think you would if you were in the. Roof I think you'll have
1: other issues before you get acidotic.
2: You, you're a skeptic I, to acidosis, aren't no, you? No, no, no,
1: no. Well, no, I, I just think that when you're truly kicking into ketoacidosis, it's got, you've got to have zero insulin in the body, right? You've got to have no insulin. If you even have the smallest amount of carbohydrates in, and, a, and a functioning pancreas, you're going to release insulin and you're not going to be in acidosis.
2: Uh, it, as far as I'm aware, I but think... But isn't also keto, ketogenesis also incumbent upon how much the Ketogenesis, liver, yes, but not
1: ketoacidosis. So you can you can go into ketogenesis on minimal carbohydrates. So you can still eat carbohydrates and go into ketogenesis. Mm. But becoming ketoacidotic, I think you need to you need to have huge amounts of ketone bodies and this needs to be due to zero insulin. Okay. All fat producing ketone bodies. That's right. as far, and again, prove me wrong. Please, 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 please. I I may be I may be partially incorrect there.
2: I think he's gonna be so thanks, listeners. Thanks for proving them wrong. Now, um, the, the final other thing that is yeah. commonly causing an acidotic state metabolically yes. is the ingestion of some. Um, not, I guess, they could be toxic, like what alcohol, well, yeah. ethanol, methanol. What causing uh, metabolic acidosis? Yeah, what's the mechanism there of of it? Maybe uh, whether it's an acid in itself. I'm not sure. No. Nah. What's methanol? As in like what's its pH
1: no no idea, but really, I didn't know that hmm. are you sure that's just not due to uh, its subsequent renal failure and liver and and uh, what's the liver what's the,
2: the byproduct the breakdown product of uh, ethanol
1: oh man, that's a good question
2: I don't know, so what's your liver making into?
1: I should probably know this. what do you think it is of ethanol are you saying ethanol or methanol' Let's go with ethanol? All right, because I know methanol is not going to be a good one. I know that you've got an enzyme, alcohol dehydrogenase, and it transforms ethanol into
0: uh,
1: uh, acetyl aldehyde.
2: So that would be acid
1: producing? Yeah, I think it is actually. because it can, Yes, because acetyl, yeah, acetyl aldehyde um, turns into acetate. And yes, okay, that makes sense. What were you saying to me earlier? I was saying uh, how much I respect you <laughs> as a fellow so academic. So,
2: methanol, ethanol, ethylene, glycol... That sound uh, like a little poem. Yeah. Actually, it was. I got it from a, a, another...
1: Ethanol, methanol, methanol, ethylene, glycol can it all turn into acetate.
2: And is that is what that, you breathe off when you go over the limit? It's acetone. Acetone. Is it? So, when you breathe in the breathalyzer, Yeah. what is that actually measuring? It's not oh, ac-
1: oh, sorry. It's acetate and acetone is... A very similar structure, which is what. So, when you're breathing in the breathalyzer and you breathe out the acetate and it goes beep and it mm. picks up, uh, let's just say you're also a diabetic who hasn't taken your insulin yeah. and you're functioning off ketone bodies, yeah. which is acetic acid or yeah. a- acetone, mm-hmm. you're breathing that out and that also tests positive
2: on the breathalyzer. Oh, okay. So, and it has a distinct smell to it too.
1: Yes, that's right.
2: All right. Was there others? All right. Yep. The final one is the metabolic alkalosis. Yes. So this is where you would have too much bicarbonate in the system. Mm-hmm. So in your arterial blood glass, which we'll do next week, you've got too much bicarbonate on board or you've lost excessive amounts of hydrogen. And so this could be from the other end of um, food poisoning or about of... No, no, vomiting. It's vomiting. It's vomiting so. Loss of hydrogen
1: ions through vomiting because so obviously heaps
2: in your guts. Yeah. Or you could have it through the use of diuretics, like we just spoke about. You're losing too much. And what about
1: like sodium bicarbonate therapies, like intravenous sodium mm-hmm. bicarbonate? You can infuse and think, too much.
2: And I think excessive amounts of antacids like... Um, do you take antacids at all? I,
1: I have been known to dabble in the antacid. In the bicar- to if I have too many spicy foods, maybe I'll take an antacid, which is basically bicarbonate. Yeah, Gonna take a fair bit though, man. Okay. Because again, the bicarbonate itself is going to be buffered. So if you're healthy, you don't have an underlying pathology, and you're not induce uh, putting a huge amount in, I can't see how it's going to. All
2: right, I think that's everything. Was there anyth- been anything been else you want to talk this about? One. Man, I tell you what, it's over an hour.
1: Is uh. Are our listeners going to email me and correct me on a whole bunch of stuff?
2: I hope they do. I hope they cite a whole lot of papers and say, you know, Michael, here is an, here's an example of strenuous exercise causing lactic acidosis,
1: and also the whole acetone acetate relationship there. Mm. Alcohol, uh, prove me.
2: Talk, you know, give me some ethanol, answers methanol, ethylene glycol, or do they all produce acetate? Or they all produce an acid forming, yeah okay
1: alright I think that's it so next week next podcast which will be next week we're going to talk about ABGs which is arterial blood gases which as medicos or aspiring medicos what are you going to do you're going to measure you're going to take some uh, arterial blood not venous I didn't say that you can take venous blood and measure these things but they're they're not as accurate Um, you can take some arterial blood and look at the arterial blood gases that's partial pressure of CO2 and O2 and you can look at Uh, bicarbonate and you can look at sodium you can look at a whole bunch of stuff you can look at sodium ions through through, uh, arterial blood it's not part of the ABG oh okay I thought you were talking about ABG no 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 it's not part of the ABG but ABG is including what we
2: spoke about today with
1: some other things
2: yep so I think that's a long session I know
1: hopefully everyone has paid attention I'm sorry for uh, talking about numbers and the amount of zeros at the beginning of this podcast but I think it's important you understand what pH means Again, if you want to contact us, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram. We've actually got Facebook. We didn't talk about Facebook. Come follow us and join us on Facebook. That's where you can post some questions. The Facebook page is Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Easy. Hmm. Our Instagram is at the handle G-U-Biosciences, all lowercase. Find us. Our uh, Twitter handle is G-U-Biosciences. And you can send us an email with any topics you want us to cover or to tell me how wrong I am or give me some more info. I mean, Matt's obviously always wrong, but I'm wrong part of the time and I like to be corrected. So send me an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.
2: That's great, Mike. Thank you. And I will see you all for the second part of our Acid and Base next podcast. I don't want to say next week. It'll be next week. All right. Uh, Thanks, Mike. Thanks, mate.